You guys ever asked yourself this question before? Like, what is the Christian life all about? Like, you hear about being a Christian. You hear about what the Christian life is all about. And you may be able to identify with me because I know there was a point in my life where I used to think things like the Christian life is about following rules, right? If I do this, bam, 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 me and God are cool, right? He gives me things on the side, right? So it's about following rules. Or we may think that it's about trying to make God happy. I am constantly living this life where I'm just trying to make God happy with me. Or God's making me happy. If I do these things, then God looks at me like, good job. You're doing a really good job, right? But this is what the Apostle Paul believed. No, he didn't just believe it. He knew it. Because you look at what he writes when he writes his letters. He's literally telling you that the Christian life is one in which you are walking the same exact path that Jesus did. And for him... He calls it like the union with Christ. Jesus is living his life through Paul. Listen to what Paul says when he writes his letter to the church in Philippi. In Philippians 3.10, he says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What he was saying was, I know that the Christian life is one in which I'm literally stepping into the same life that Christ had, and my, my life is going to resemble the path that he took, which is what? The suffering into death and resurrection. That is the shape of the Christian life, suffering into death, and with that comes a resurrection. The reason why you can have hope in the midst of it is because Christ died and rose again. And the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is the same power that literally lives inside you right now. And so if Jesus is living his life in you, what do you think your life is going to resemble? That's the little fine print that they don't normally tell you when you sign your Christian contract, right? Because we always say, well, I love salvation. And I love the blessings that come with it. And we never get to the next page. Like, you know, when you sign a car contract, they give you 25 pages. You're just like, eh, eh. And you never go back to really realize what you actually signed. And for many people, they don't realize that when you signed up for this whole Christian thing, what you were doing is you were signing up for the same exact path in the life that Christ had. It's death, suffering into death. And with that comes erection, resurrection. And what does that mean? Well, this includes living a life in which I'm called to now speak the truth about Jesus into the life of other people. Is anybody here absolutely terrified of talking about Jesus to people? By your smiles, I'll say yes. <laughs> right? Nobody's going to raise their hand with that. I will tell you the truth. Is I, at one point, was absolutely terrified of talking about Jesus to people. I know what they were going to do. And isn't it the hardest to talk about people that you love, like in your family? I can't talk about Jesus with them. Anybody ever been called crazy by your own family members? Right? Yeah, you're getting like crazy. Really? And so it can be fearful to talk about Jesus with people, but that's what he calls us to do. 
And so what we're looking at is it means that if I'm stepping into the life of Christ and is living his life through me, then it means that I'm called to go and to testify to people about him. That he calls me to go out and to talk about him. And oftentimes when we do go and share the truth, you're going to talk to people who don't want to hear it. Right? And who will give you a lot of grief for talking about Jesus. What makes you think Jesus is the way? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So today's big idea is this. Testifying to the truth and the hope about Jesus wherever God places us. God is bringing us into situations where we are called to go and to share the truth about him. So today's title is called Chosen to be a Witness. Chosen to be a Witness. And so my hope is that we would see how God calls us to testify about Jesus and he's constantly giving us opportunities to do it. He's ordaining opportunities for us to go and to speak into the lives of other people. And so we're going to look at Acts 22, the very last verse of Acts 22, verse 30, and we're going to look at all of Acts 23. And we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul did. And so before we do that, just pray with me. Father, we pray that you would open up our eyes to the Scripture and show us, God, specifically, we see what the Apostle Paul does in his life, but help us to understand what this looks like in our life, Father, and show us what you're asking us to do and what you're calling us to do. And most importantly, God, we just ask for help in doing it because we can't live this life on our own. And so we ask for help, and we ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. Verse 30 says this, But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. And Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet, contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. And so remember, the apostle Paul was now bound by chains. And now these Roman people, they found out that he was actually a Roman citizen. And they're like, ooh, all right, unbound him. Let's actually bring him before a council to find out why are they after you? What have you done to make them want to do this to you? And so they bring him ahead. Now remember, this is going back last chapter. Paul was speaking to somebody named Ananias. Not this Ananias, it was another one. And he literally tells Paul, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to every one of what you have seen and heard. He's literally saying as God has chosen you to go and to tell people what you've seen and what you've heard. And so now Paul keeps getting put in these situations where he's going and he's sharing about Jesus. And so here he is. He's before the council, and he starts off in all good intentions and sharing from his heart. What does he say? He says this, brothers, 
I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. I have literally followed what God has called me to do. And as soon as he says that, the chief priest looks at somebody and says, slap him. And they slap him across the face. They slap him across the face. And Paul looks at him and he says, well, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. God is going to strike you for not believing in Christ. And he calls him a whitewashed wall. Where have we heard that before? You see, it was Jesus when he was talking to the Pharisees and the scribes. What does he call them? Whitewashed tombs. What, what, what that literally means is you on the outside have the appearance of being all holy and righteous and clean, but on the inside you are dead and you are unclean. And so the Apostle Paul is saying the same thing here. He's like, you are a whitewashed wall. You look clean on the outside, but inside you are dirty. Why? That chief priest Ananias It's the Jewish historian Josephus that says this about him. He was a hoarder of money. He obtained favor through bribery. And he used to rob tithes from the lower status priests that were due to him. So he is corrupt and he abuses his power. And now the Apostle Paul looks at him and says, you are a whitewashed wall. God is going to condemn and strike you. Are you sitting here to judge me? And yet you don't even follow the law, and contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? You see, the law says that you only punish someone when they're guilty. You don't even know if I'm guilty or not, and yet you're ordering me to be struck? And so somebody nearby, the priest says, would you revile the God's high priest like this? You're going to talk to the high priest like this? And he says, I didn't know he was the high priest. I didn't know he was the high priest. Now, did he really not know? Or the way that Paul is saying it is he's saying is, I couldn't recognize he was the high priest by the way he's acting. But as the law says that you are to respect the leaders, I'm sorry. So Paul is speaking in a very difficult situation right now. He is in a hostile situation where he is called to go and to testify about Jesus. Have you ever felt like this before? You ever been in a situation before where you're like, I want to talk about Jesus, but woo, if I bring it up right now, it's not going to be pretty. Do I talk about Jesus? Do I say something about God? Right? In a situation where it's not conducive to sharing the gospel. You know what that happened to me before? At a funeral that I was asked to speak at. I was told, I want to have a funeral, but I just don't want to talk about heaven and hell and sin. And I was like, what do you do? You see, the only reason that I can share the good news of the gospel is you have to tell people the bad news. Without the bad news, there is no good news. And so oftentimes we will be placed in situations in our life where we're called to share about Jesus, even when there's a potential to share with people who don't want to hear it. That's what the Apostle Paul is doing right now. He keeps getting put in these situations where he's called to testify about Jesus, about Jesus, specifically the hope of the resurrection, the hope that comes from the resurrection. Watch what he does next. Verse 6, now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. 
It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit. But the Pharisees acknowledged them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply. We find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And see, Apostle Paul looks out and he sees the crowd just like this. And he sees how this half over here, you guys are the Sadducees, and this half over here, you're the Pharisees right there. And he understands that over here, you guys don't believe in the resurrection, you don't believe in spirits, and you don't believe in angels. But you do. You only believe what you see. And so he says, brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. And it's with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial right now. Paul is sharing the truth about Christ. And he's saying the only reason I am standing here in front of you today is because Jesus Christ died and rose again. And when you look at that statement right there, you can just dig into it so many different ways. One of the reasons I'm on trial right now is because I'm going and I'm telling people about this resurrection. One of the reasons I'm standing here right now in front of you is because I, like you, was a Pharisee, and I would be sitting out there too. But the reason I'm standing here is because Christ died and he rose again and he saved me and he's calling me to tell you. And how do they respond? They start fighting each other. I can imagine if Paul's like, no. But they start fighting each other. Why? Because the Pharisees, you guys at least understand that there is hope in what you believe in being fulfilled in Christ because you at least believe in the resurrection. And so you're thinking to yourselves, well, this could be true. What if it is true? What if an angel did speak to him? And over here, they're like, this isn't true. And then they start fighting one another. And dissension arises between them. And what do they do? They come and they grab Paul and they take him out of there because they don't want him to be torn apart. And when they take him back to the barracks, the Lord says to him, what? Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Well done. But this isn't it. I'm taking you to Rome. I'm taking you back to the mothership to go there and to share about me there. And so he's saved to live another day. It, it reminds me when you look in the book of Acts, in the beginning of Acts, when Jesus literally tells him everything that you must suffer for me. And he's now experiencing that. And so the first application that we see is how God calls us to speak about the truth and the hope of the resurrection. The Christian life is one in which God has saved me, but now I'm called to go out and to share with other people. And so the question is, but what does it look like? Because most of us will not be in front of a Roman council, right? With our lives being threatened. It's safe to say that's probably not going to be our life. So then what does it look like in our life? Well, let me give you a couple examples. 
I had a situation before where I had somebody who, who I can see in their life, they were just doing religious things. And you could just see their heart wasn't there. They would write the check to go to the church. They would follow these rules. And I saw no change. And so the Lord had impressed it upon me to at least speak the truth in their life about what it means to be a Christian, and specifically, not from a legalistic standpoint, but from a standpoint of what Christ came to do and the freedom that we have and to fall in love with Him. And so I was called to speak directly in their life. So that's an example right there. I've had situations where people have come to me, and you can see they're struggling. And they want to know, like, what is it? And you want to share with them. And the only thing that I can say is the only reason I'm here right now is because of the hope of the resurrection. If not, then I'm, I'm just going to tell you to listen to uh, one of the, Tony Robbins and feel better about yourself. If there is no resurrection, then Jesus is just one and a choice of many people to share with people. But there's something different about Jesus. Why? Because when Jesus, before he was going to die, he says, not only am I going to rise, I'm going to rise physically. Because if he says, I'm going to rise spiritually, they go to the grave, they find the body, and they don't know if he's telling the truth or not. But if I rise bodily, then just find the body. And the body is there, this is all over. But what happened to the body? Where was it? It was gone. The body wasn't there. If the body is there, then we are just people hanging out on Sunday before the Eagles game. Right? But the body was not there. And so Jesus Christ came to do exactly what he said he was going to do, that he was going to die and rise again in a bodily resurrection. That's the hope that we have. And that's what we're called to tell people when we look at them and we see how much they're struggling in their life. They have nothing to grasp onto. That's the hope that we point to, and that's what he calls us to do, and he calls us to live. It's the reason why I'm here right now standing in front of you preaching this. The hope of the resurrection, because Jesus Christ died, he saved me, and he calls me to go and to tell others, and he's telling you to go and to share it with people too. I never understand how people can say, I really believe faith is like you should be kept to yourself. You know, it's what you do on your own. And I'm like, Lord, thank you so much for not keeping this to yourself. If I'm stepping into the path of Jesus, I'm called to then move out into the world and begin sharing this hope with people. It's okay to say you're scared. It's okay to say I'm nervous. I have no idea what I'm going to say. It's okay. But what it's not okay is to say I'm never telling anybody about this because I believe I should be keeping it to myself, because that's not what Christ did. That's not what he came to do. So we're called to speak on Jesus' behalf and to testify about Jesus. Now, God wants us to speak. The question is, when and where? Let's look at verses 12 through 35. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you, as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now, the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. 
So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, as he has, has, as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and, going aside, asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him and have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, Tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready. Get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearsmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias, to his excellency the governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. And desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being quest accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And on the next day they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading this letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded Paul to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. And so now there's a plot to kill Paul. We need this man dead. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to call together a council, and when he comes down, we're going to kill him. They were waiting for him. They were setting it up. Paul's nephew hears of this, runs and goes and tells Paul. Paul tells the guard to come here, and he says, this man has something to go tell the tribune. They go and they share the story with the tribune, and he was like, get him out of here. I want 200 horsemen or 70 horsemen, I want 200-foot soldiers and 200 spearsmen to take him to Antipatris, which is a military post 37 miles away. And then from there, the horsemen take him on to Caesarea and take this letter with you. Write a letter to Felix the governor explaining the whole situation of what's going on right now. And so now my question is what Jesus said earlier. Where does Jesus want him to go to speak? Rome. Where is Paul getting closer to? And who is saving him to get there? Right? And why does he do it? Because they're coming together to kill him. And so what they do is the Romans are protecting him to get him to here in front of the governor. But he's ultimately moving him closer and closer to Rome. Isn't it just like God to use anything in your life to ordain where he wants you to be and what he wants you to do? I wish God would ordain me to go to Rome, right? I want to go to Tahiti to share the gospel. <laughs> One of those little church huts, right, on the water. He's moving him toward Rome. You can't outsmart God. He can use 
anything to take you where he wants you to be. And in this particular case right here, he's ordaining the events because he's trying to get Paul to testify about Jesus to Rome. And you look at your life, what is God ordaining in your life for you to testify about Jesus? That's what's happening. And it's amazing when you see that. You see, that's the second application. The first one is he wants to testify to the truth and the hope of the resurrection. The second is he will open up doors and opportunities for you to do it. That's what he's doing. Right? You see that. I'll, I'll be honest with you guys. I prayed about this sermon right here because I was like, God, I'm reading this and I understand what it says, but I don't know what it looks like every day. I've never been taken out by soldiers at night away because people were trying to kill me. So show me what it looks like. And I kid you not, over the last couple of weeks, God has put me in positions and has ordained a life in people's, ordained events in people's life where I have had numerous opportunities to share about Jesus specifically. And what have I told them? About the hope of the resurrection. I had somebody literally say to me, like, what, what, why Jesus though? Why Jesus? Because of the resurrection. Because Christ is the one that says, I'm going to die and rise bodily, and he did it. And as far as my money's concerned, I'm putting my money on that guy that said he was going to do it, and he did it. That's where I'm pointing people to the hope. And I'm watching God open up these doors to be able to share with people. What's it like when you're in that position? You ever had a position where you're in where you're like, uh-oh, God wants me to say something, right? You get nervous, your palms get sweaty, right? You're like, what do I say? What do I do? Because you know that the Lord has brought you into an opportunity to speak hope into someone's life. That's what he's doing with the Apostle Paul. That's what he's calling us to do. Testify to the hope of the resurrection and ordain opportunities to do it, using anything. The beautiful thing about Jesus and Paul is they never hesitated to confront people with the truth of the gospel and the truth about sin and the resurrection. And when you look at their lives, when you see how Paul knows that he has to step into the life of Christ, look at their lives. Both of them made a passion journey to Jerusalem. In both cases, the mob seized them both. Paul was slapped on the face and responded with a sarcastic comment. Jesus was struck on the face, and yet he was silent. Paul was declared innocent three times. Jesus was declared innocent three times. Paul testifies about Jesus, specifically his death and resurrection. Jesus came testifying about his father and the need for his death and resurrection. God was ordaining events in the life of Paul to protect Paul so that he could get him to Rome to speak. God was ordaining events in the life of his son to bring him to Jerusalem. But here's the difference. He didn't protect his own son because it was Jesus Christ who laid his life down willingly to die to be resurrected again for us, to be killed by the very same people that he came to save. Paul understood what it meant to enter into the life of Christ. Jesus Christ came to die, and he came to die for our sins. 
is that when you believe that Christ died and rose again for the forgiveness of your sins, and I place my faith in that, I'm saved. Salvation is a free gift. And the Apostle Paul now can live this life. Why? Because he's believed in faith, and now it's Jesus living his life through Paul, and he's telling him, you're on the same path that I was. Guess what that means for us? It's the same path that we're called. And when you do that, people will see Jesus living his life in and through you, and they will see the change in your life. So what does that mean? Again, number one, God calls us to testify about the truth and the hope of the resurrection. And oftentimes it's to a world that doesn't want to hear it. But the second thing is God ordains now these opportunities for us to go and to testify. And he can use anything in our life to do it. What opportunities is God using in your life? Where does God have you right now? What doors is he opening for you to share the hope of the resurrection in the life of other people. God is in control, and all we do is we allow him to direct us and to lead us to go and to testify about Jesus. And we look, and we do this by entering into his life. Let's pray.